You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. Back in November of 2009, we were lucky enough to get some guests on the show. They were a crew who some of them had come from bigger studios, having worked on some pretty iconic games. So we were quite excited to get the, the not necessarily the scoop, but to talk to them about everything that they'd been through, all of their prep for this brand new IP that they were working on, which was Torchlight. We then had them back on years later when Torchlight 2 came out. And now that we've got a brand new project coming out from them that everybody has been thrilled, excited about, and just anticipating with glee, we are going to be talking to Wonder Russell, the community manager there, who prefers to go by your hotness, apparently, and Christina Ness, who is one of the concept artists there. And we are going to be talking not just about Hob, but also about their experience in the game industry, especially from the perspective of being women in the industry, which is, let's face it, a lot harder than it should be. So let's start off with Wonder. You've been at Runic since the very beginning, have you not? Yes. Uh, I was actually part of Flagship before we were Runic. Yeah. So I started with the Flagship North team working on Mythos um, and did some, uh, lots of just little puttering things. Like I wasn't... Uh, running the marketing at that time. Um, I just started because I got a job and they needed, they um, like someone, gener- general office management, you know, pro- project management possibly uh, if we got bigger. So I did all kinds of odd jobs, including uh, did some voices for the ogre and <laughs> with a rock band mic, you know, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, made sure that the kitchen was stocked and planned the party. And then, uh, and then, yeah, and then we closed, which was like a blow for all of us. Um, and but then a couple months later, started Runic. Which, to be honest, I I personally feel was a huge step in the right direction for you guys because oh, yeah. the it work that came afterwards perfect. is you can't even compare it to everything before. It's so bloody good. Yeah, yeah, we're. I mean, it was the right decision and. And it was crazy, too, because it was a couple months that were really intense. And I was, uh, you know, I was very much um, stressed out from, like, having a job for for almost a year and then losing said job. And uh, I kept getting rejected from unemployment uh, because I had worked, like, a bunch of, like, little odd jobs when I first moved to Seattle. And you have to provide so much history. And I was like... I don't have that paperwork anymore. <laughs> like the job at the Mexican restaurant that I worked at some evenings for like a month, you know, and it was so, it was so gnarly. And I, I was not, it was like a really intense and scary period because I was also trying to do like, I was trying to pick, make my rent and, and I was doing landscaping with a friend and I was watching <laughs> another person's kids for money. And in the meantime, I was looking for office space, I was researching payroll companies. Um, you know, we were like 
fighting over a, a Gmail chat about what the new studio should be named. You know? <laughs> so, uh, it was really, it was, a, it was an exciting but stressful two months of the summer, but I never once felt like I should go look for, you know, a city job somewhere else. I was like, I think there's something special about this group. Like, I want to stick with it, you know, and, and see this through. And especially, you know, when you have such a good group and such a good feeling about it and there's, and everyone's pulling in the same direction, you know, that would, to me, I was like, this is a risk worth taking. So, and I'm so glad because obviously I've been here now forever. <laughs> so then was it a, a conscious decision then at the beginning to get involved with uh, a video game company or, and was it a conscious decision then to kind of slide over once you were there into that sort of community management PR role, or is it just kind of something that sort of happened via kismet? Um, it was not even on my radar, to be honest. <laughs> I came from project management of um, films and so I was working uh, with the line producer in charge of all the, uh, so my role was called uh, project coordinator. So a lot of like handling the contracts and the hiring for all the crew side and figuring out where they're going to stay and managing the, you know, uh, all the logistics on that side, but then also setting, uh, setting up, uh, getting like phones programmed for all the crew members so that we could like talk to each other without them using their own minutes and um, getting sponsorships for like, hey, Coca-Cola, do you want your thing? And I'm sending you the uh, script over. Can you want to like, someone's got to do it. And you do it all. And like, you know, at the same time, negotiating for how much the honey wagons are going to cost and negotiating for free parking for them overnight. <laughs> like, like so much, you know, and these were considered smaller budget movies, but they're still like in the $5 million range. And there's just so many moving parts. So uh, when I made the move to Seattle, I was looking for something in that field, and and then I ended up, uh, because of a referral from someone that I had worked with in the film side, had the referral to flagship. And so, and I was just, at that point, really glad for the job because it was interesting. Um, I, 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 I trusted the person who had referred me, and and I was also just glad to get a steady job that wasn't like, working the odd hours at Senior Moose Cafe, <laughs> <laughs> which literally was helping me stay afloat <laughs> while I, like, got rejected from all the production companies in oh, Seattle. No. Uh, so then we made, you know, that first Torchlight, we didn't have, we didn't have anyone who could run press or PR for us. Uh, that had all been handled, you know, by... Uh, you know, the internal flagship team, and um, I wasn't ever part of that, but the gal who was running it, Trisha Gray, sent me six names with addresses and provided some introductions, and I just ran with it from there, and we did our very first, like, packs in E3, and I was just like, all right, no one's ever showed me how to do this, but <laughs> I can write an email. Here we go. <laughs> and, um, and after... After the first torchlight came out, I remember, I still remember I was, I was on the bus home and Travis called me and I was like, oh shit, the boss is calling me. <laughs> I'm toast. Like, you know, always assume the worst. And instead he said, you know, you've done such a kick-ass job. Like, do you want to just, would you be interested in just moving into the position and handling all nice. the marketing for Runic? And I was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you. Offer more money. <laughs> yeah. No, I was like, no, 
gonna be amazing. I'm, I'm already oh, had, like having a great time doing it, and um, yeah, and so then I've been doing that ever since. So then, since you've been in that role, uh, since you've taken over that, the community management, the PR, what's the favorite event that you've set up? What's what's the the, the your favorite thing that you've been a part of since well, that's then? The hard one. Um, you could always say this interview. <laughs> <laughs> a little self-serving there, Vince. This <laughs> moment. This moment. Everything has led to this moment. Um. That's a good question. And I would say at, at least it's kind of different project to project. And there's a, <clears throat> I remember when I was showing Torchlight 2 in Germany at Gamescom and we were a really small team and it was a really, really hard show for us. Um, Cause if you know about Gamescom or if you've been there, it's a really intense, very long days. Mm-hmm. Um, bazillions of people uh, and uh, an incredible noise it's just like a bombardment on every level but it was still fun um, I take that back it was not fun anyway <laughs> <laughs> no, we got back and we had nightmares for a week after it like me Greg Brock uh, Max we we're all like I-, I keep waking up like in a sweat and hearing like the music from the razor booth and they were like me But at this last PAX East, 
um, we had such a good show with Hob that for me, I, I even I think I brought it up to someone. I was like, we've got that feeling again. It's like that that sticky feeling is back. Like like we we hit enough of like been out there consistently enough telling people what the game is, giving them more and more you know that they can see about it to make up their own minds. You know, without spoiling the experience, um, we're trying. We're, we're working. We've worked really hard to keep major story beats under wraps. Um, still, still. <laughs> What's funny um, is that when you're talking about it and you're saying how you're getting that feeling on your end, what's ironic is that we, on our end, as you know people who kind of go through a ton of games just to for the show and whatnot and people who just love gaming as well we get a similar kind of thing on our end and we get that that just not not what you guys get but we get the excitement a different kind of anticipation on our end and I'm, i'm sure you guys know what i'm talking about because clearly you're both gamers as well so you understand excitement for other games kind of thing so when when news of hob came out for us it wasn't a ah crap it's not torchlight 3 it was oh shit this is the people who made torchlight 1 and 2 i want to see what they're doing next and we all felt that same way yeah that's awesome and thank you for that happy to hear that yeah yeah you could you could, you know, tell some other folks that that's... You know, that's all we've been doing is telling people that. Oh, tr- <laughs> trust me. We, we've, we've made a reputation of making our opinions very well known when we don't <laughs> like something or when we do like something, so... <laughs> and it is scary for us to have such a major departure from something because... Let's be honest. We know that Torchlight 3 is, where the, where like the, is like a shoe-in, right? We know sure. that that's almost like a... It's almost like a gimme, right? Um, and to decide to not do that is I, I think people will hopefully let they do think about it realize that if we make Hob it it's it's going to if and when we ever do make another Torchlight game, I'm not saying that we are, but it's just like, you know, if we did we'll be better designers yeah. at that point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also just like uh, any I, I constantly liken it to other industries. I said, you know, you don't expect one director to only make one genre of movies mm-hmm. his whole career. That's just not how it works. Um, you know, you don't expect one writer to only write one type of book. So I guess unless you're, I don't know, Pat, Pat Patterson, <laughs> Daniel, Daniel, Daniel Steele. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you only do. But, uh, um, but it's just that, that amount of, you know, we're, we're using our same, like, uh, approach that we had for Torchlight and Torchlight 2 to Hop, you know, in terms of what we think is fun, what what we think is great about games. Um, and so really excited that you guys are excited about it. And I think especially now, like, we're getting so close to launch. I think people are going to see even more. And then I think especially when they start seeing people play the game, yeah. they're really going to want to be part of it. So along that same line of generating that excitement, uh, has the sort of advent of social media becoming a part of everyday life, Twitter, Discord, et cetera, has that made your job doing so easier or harder? Harder. <laughs> <laughs> Without a doubt. I would say one of the biggest shocks came while we were kind of just in early development for Hob, but we couldn't talk about it yet. And so I started, you know, I don't like, I, if you're on, if you guys are on my press list, but, and I'm, if someone who's listening is not, I don't send out that many emails. I've been on other people's press lists that get, get like updates for every little thing that they do. Right. I don't do that. I send out a couple and, um, try to make them fun and try to have them a lot of like a lot of value. Like 
here's like a really important trailer with a press release, something like that. Um, uh, so I hadn't like maintained a lot of press emails in like the couple years between Torchlight 2 and when we were getting ready to announce Hom. And it was surprising to me then on the very first um, pass, which is just two years ago now when we announced Hob, it was crazy. My spreadsheet of, of who was attending facts and where I kind of start with outreach, I was like, what are all these Twitch people doing? <laughs> Why is Twitch sending everyone, I guess? <laughs> you know, they're not really that bad, but then realizing, holy moly, things have changed so much that um and in such a short period of time too really like a matter of like a couple years yeah i I couldn't and i had not paid that close attention because i was paying more attention to what was going on here and i took some time to like do some acting and stuff and then holy moly that was kind of like a a a really steep learning curve which i hope that we you know I, i mean i think that we caught up really fast but when we realized oh god like half of the press attendees are content creators so then we started shifting gears. We we're like, okay, we went. I went to TwitchCon that year to just learn more, figure out best practices, start you know figuring out um, how to reach out to those people. It's the very first time we had a sign up for like, hey, if you're a content creator and interested in getting a code, we made this. You know, we researched programs to to handle that and to incorporate that into just our day to day. But it definitely took a lot of time to start learning things that like we're comfortable with now and they're up and running, but it was just a different approach. Um, we, we did go, we did start a discord, which is all Brian, who is our community manager and he runs that and that's been really great. And, um, and I have jumped into a couple other discords started by streamers who invited me to it. Just be like, Hey, let us know when it's come out. Cause we still want to like stream. I'm like, okay, sure. Um, so it was just a lot of, um, a lot of unexpected changes, but also interesting to watch the uh, um, industry change and grow and then adapt. Um, I think we're I think we're still going to see a lot of evolution when it comes to content creators, especially like <laughs> not to derail the conversation <laughs> totally, but uh, in light of especially what's just happened recently with PewDiePie. Ah, uh, yes. Because then you get, you have, you raise an interesting question, like, should Super someone profit off of what we make by by uh, espousing or um, um, glorifying beliefs that are the antithesis of what we as a company believe in? So I, I think that... That is some murky water right there. It is. It's going to continue to be, I think, a really interesting debate. And I think yeah. even, even when I was down at TwitchCon, there was conversations about, like, you're probably not going to get games free to play forever. Like it's not sustainable. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm interested in what happens next. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's move on and give Christina time to talk now. Sure. What? <laughs> don't you disappear. I'm not done with you yet. <laughs> <laughs> Christina, why don't you lay out your history at Runa games? Oh gosh. Uh, so I started, Almost two years ago, it was right after um, they had just announced that Hob was what they were working on. And uh, so I guess it was be like summer 2015, you guys announced at PAX West. And I was looking for a full-time position. Uh, I had been doing a bunch of like freelance and contract concept art positions. 
Uh, but I was like, all right, I need, I, I want something full time in house at a studio. And not she was just, working at League. Yeah, be honest, she was making kick ass things for League. <laughs> I was working at uh, Riot Games on League of Legends, uh, but I was contracting, um, and I really wanted something full time. And so I basically like carpet bombed the West Coast with my resume and portfolio. <laughs> Uh, and I had applied because uh, Runic had to open a general application. They like weren't looking specifically for concept artists, but I just was like, oh, they're accepting. I'll just throw my hat in the ring because, yeah, like that's what you should do, you know, uh, if they, they are taking general applications. So I just threw my hat in the ring and actually forgot about it um, while I applied elsewhere. And then uh, that was before the Hob announcement. And then after Hob was announced, uh, a concept art position had opened up. And um, uh, the concept artist at the time contacted me on like Facebook and was like, hey, do you have a uh, environment art portfolio because, uh, or do you, have, do you have an environment art portfolio or with props and stuff that I'd like to see? Because I had been working at Riot, and so it was all like character concepts. And I was like, yeah, sure. Like I, I didn't even know who this guy was. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, sure, I've got that. So I like linked to the part of my website that had more like environments and props and stuff. And he was like, oh, th this is awesome. This is great because uh, the concept artists that we're hiring, we really want them to be versatile and like, you know, environments as well as characters. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and so I had to quickly like, <laughs> like, oh, wait, okay, wait. He looks at Runic, works at Runic. And then I went to my email and I was like, okay, wait, I applied to a job at Runic a month ago. That's like, okay, awesome. okay. Like, so, so. I remember now that when we has a, we opened the concept artist position and then we went back through like yeah. the backlog and then really did like, you know, we always say like, oh yeah, submit to jobs or ruin a game. <laughs> you know, but that's what we do use it. This yeah. Is like case in point. And I, yeah, you guys must've looked so far back in the backlogs of the applications that you found mine yeah, we from keep, yeah, we keep before the position like, had opened. Yeah, before it was even yeah. open, we're like, oh, here's one. Let's bring her up. Yeah, yeah. And so um, uh, at that point, I was like, oh crap, this place is looking at me. And then I was like, oh crap, they've announced a new game since oh, I applied. So awesome. yeah, so I did some research on Hob and I was like, I can hit this house style. Like I can draw like this, but everything in my portfolio was like, uh, I had some like, I still have some like residual school projects in there. And I had a bunch of League of Legends art and I had some other like random stuff from contract gigs and none of it really looked like Hob. And so I was like, all right, I can hit this, uh, I can I can hit their style. So I did, I took a week off uh, and tanked the relationship I was in. This is what game dev is. I, I took a solid week of churning out a specific art that looked like Hob and that looked like the stuff you guys had released. And uh, so, and, and ignored a guy for a week uh, and so sent that off uh, to you guys being like hey you know I know you're looking at my stuff here's some extra yeah. things I whipped up on the side you know and then like the morning after I sent that in I got the interview you know request from you guys it worked it works and uh anyway you could have told that guy whatever I'm moving anyway yeah yeah <laughs> I was going to say, Jesus, any man that wouldn't support you through that, you don't want him around anyway. Fuck that I jackass. That. I appreciate that. No, no, we're, we're good friends now. Uh, but 
at the time it just didn't work out. My my rule is always, you know, like move on. Career first. <laughs> I know. Yeah. The, the job takes precedent for me right now. So let's ah, actually shift works. into that for yeah. one minute before we go more into Hob then. Like again, like I was saying at the beginning, there are a lot of challenges, which I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know what you ladies go through on a regular basis. That's but I'm not blind to it. You ladies put up with a ton of bullshit that Clearly, once again, you should not have to. That yeah, being said, it's like coming to work in the morning where you have to like run through the gauntlet of dildos is maybe the, the hardest. Oh yeah, it's, it's a, that's know, what my office is missing. Damn. Stop it, guys! I'm over it. And then there's a dick joke at the end. Yeah, someone exactly. tells you. Yeah, anyway, you have, yeah, you have, and you, and someone has to explain why the wage gap. A man has to explain to you why the wage gap is is imaginary, and then you're allowed to get in the elevator. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping there's a lot of kick balls when that happens. <laughs> I mean, we, uh, our office here is really is it's fantastic. Is very awesome yeah. for like like we uh, are extremely um all about yeah but the diversity in the office and um like mm-hmm. christina's gone to speak at uh is it girls who code yeah yeah the, the girls who code and uh girls make games summer camps that happen locally yeah my, my one of my friends actually had a daughter go to there and they actually talked about you and as 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 one of it because that's that's one of the things she's into is is like she that she's all about art so it was kind of one of those surreal moments because I was just an offhanded comment I'm like and he's like oh yeah they and they described you and I was like wait was her name you know Christina Nez and they're like yeah that was her and I'm like yeah I'm gonna be talking to her in a couple weeks (laughs) so cool yeah yeah I I think uh, uh, honestly I think more young girls and boys. need to be exposed to the kind of jobs that are out there mm-hmm. um because i mean like like especially i think it's really hard uh for girls specifically in like middle school and high school if they don't have a game console in the house or they don't have like i had um the neighborhood dude next door like my best friend growing up he had every console under the sun and me and my sister didn't really have any so we'd always go over to his house and i think uh like at that age that's when you your your tastes and habits form and you start to kind of really think about like what you want to be when you grow up and i think when uh young girls and guys aren't exposed to you know like games and tech at that age that they don't consider it was it that you weren't exposed to it enough or that you weren't like your your folks didn't push it or you weren't interested um it wasn't even that uh because like i i've had a game boy since the game boy came out right. like i remember walking through toys r us holding like pokemon <laughs> Yellow, like, you know like as picking out my christmas present um so and it, it was never that we weren't exposed to it it was just that like uh we didn't know you know we, we didn't know that like there was the nintendo and the xbox and the ps4 and the way we discovered these consoles was through hanging out with the neighbors. And one neighbor would have a Nintendo, and the other would have a GameCube. Yeah. And our cousins would have had an N64, and so we'd go to visit our cousins. That's all awesome. Yeah, and so I think it, it was more like proximity. And so we happened to be in the same proximity. Like, I've, I've had every iteration of the Game Boy since the beginning. So it's like me and my sister grew up with handhelds, but we never really had, like, consoles in the house because... 
we visit the neighbors for the consoles, right? right. Um, and awful. so, yeah, so I think if you if you grew up in a household where you're you're in a neighborhood that maybe your neighbors can't afford consoles or your family can't afford consoles, or um, you know the kids don't have their own laptops, they have to share computer time. I it's it's harder to when it's harder to get you know your hands on video games like that and get experience at a young age. I think that is where they stop uh, dreaming of the jobs that they can have in this field. Are you finding that it is getting better, though, both of you? Do you do you feel that it's getting better in the industry, though, for women, that there are more opportunities that are being presented as opposed to what it was before? Because from the outside looking in, again, you see so much shit that the women have to put up with, especially like uh, women content creators. You notice it, yeah. especially because it's right there in your your face when you are watching, you see the bullshit they have to put up with. And I wonder if you feel it's gotten better of the years because you've both been in it for a while now. If it's getting if it's on the right path, at least. It's hard to talk about, right? Yeah. And again, this is not to try to get elicit something negative about where you're working because it's clearly yeah. it's a good office. But you also have to put up with a lot of be it publishers, distributors, um, convention places, also the gamers, the content creators, jackasses like us. <laughs> so all of that. I think any uh, negative experiences are just like off you know, quote unquote off experience I have has never been with other developers or with other people who are Same. in the, the, the game industry. It's uh, always been odd interactions with people who aren't a developer. Right. Um, yeah. I would say weirdly enough, at least, and maybe we're just, I'm just really lucky with who I've been able to work with and hang out with, but I find more that at least the the men in our office and the men that are friends with me, you know, my friends in the industry are all what I would consider amazing allies, you know, yeah. and um, advocating all the time for it. Like, you know, and they have daughters of their own and they're like, girls can do anything. Like we need more girls in programming. And, and to do that, we just need to tell them it's possible, Yes, you know, and, and things like that. And, um, and, you know, not being a jackass. And then I'd say that the times that I have like been put in an uncomfortable position were by fans. Yeah. Especially ones that like won't take no for an answer after they repeatedly ask you for a photo. And I'm like, I'm not a fucking loot babe, dude. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, um, yeah. And then the, I mean, and I am, I think it's really uh, scary as a woman to be a content creator. Yeah. Like, yeah. I feel like there's this double-edged sword of like, oh, they only like have so many views because they have boobs, and then the same crowd is like, show us your boobs. <laughs> and you're like, I like damned if you do, damned if you don't. I think it's I think it's so difficult to approach and to do well, uh, you yeah. know. And it's I feel I feel like it's almost just hard to be yourself in a in a in a weird way. Yeah, I think it I think it gets hard for content creators and women in the industry because, um, you know, we get quote unquote tested on skill, but also looks, yeah. which, you know, right? I don't, it's weird. It, it's like a weird, you know, even, even in, in, in games, you don't see a lot of games with female characters that have a strong influence on the plot that are over the age of 30. Hmm. 
This is something we've talked about so many times on the podcast. And it's it's one of those things where when we discuss and I apologize for cutting you off there, but it's but it's one of those things when we bring it up because um, people don't always understand when you're asking for diversity in games that it's not always because you are a member of the the group that is not represented, but rather that your experience in the game will be further enriched by said diversity. And there's not enough people who grasp that concept. So by having, be it older women character, women of a variety of different shapes and sizes in games, all that kind of stuff, flawed female characters, because it always has to be a character that is pure of heart and everything else. And if she's flawed, then, oh, something bad must have happened to her. Not that she's just a bad person. I'm sorry. What was that? Wonder? Yeah, and she has to be a virgin. Otherwise, she's a villain. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I love to call it the, the Madonna horror complex of the game industry. Yeah. Or, or the only thing that will make a female character strong is if they survive some kind of sexual assault. Or yeah. Near assault. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that's the only threat. Yep. That's how you build a character. Yeah. Uh, something that I've had in depth. No, something I've had. It's so terrible. But I've talked a lot with friends and colleagues and peers about uh, the because everyone's heard the phrase strong female character. But I think people really, really misinterpret the definition of that because people hear strong and they go, oh, physically strong. You want you want someone who can fight things. But it's like, no, no, no. You need to take strong in the abstract sense yeah. and use Agency. strong. Yeah. And they a, a female character who has strong influence on the plot. That is what a strong female character is. That they are have a significant affectation to the plot. Yeah. Uh, they don't need to be physically strong. They can still be sexy. They can still use their sexuality like Morgana in Dragon Age, you know. She has a huge influence on a plot. She her sexuality determines whether one of the characters lives or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So it's like it's like, yeah, when I play games, I want to feel sexy, but I also want to matter. You know, I want I want to right. be pivotal to the plot and make right. a difference. So yeah. And in real life, I want to be yeah. Sexy. <laughs> well, oh, wonder you, you matter. You certainly matter to us. That's for damn sure. That's so much to ask. <laughs> You're right, drama queen. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, like, you can probably agree, what we need more in games is both the education of younger girls and boys, but primarily girls, to try to foster that appreciation of the industry and encourage them to go into it and make it easier because there are roadblocks, obviously. But also there needs to be an education of the current establishment of what constitutes good writing for female characters. I, I don't think it's just the one thing that needs to be fixed. It's both of them. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that we need... Whoa, I totally just derailed my train of thought. Um, it's okay. I think you need to appeal to to, to girls um, with your games. And that is not true. to make a Barbie Dream game, game for girls yep. TM. Because the minute you set out with that mindset, you've sunk your own boat, in my opinion. Uh, As someone who really hated anything that said for girls as a girl, like pink Legos. You know what Legos are for girls? Fucking Legos. How about they're just Legos? Yeah, Yeah. that's what Lego for girls are. 
What um, I think that part of what has to is for people, <laughs> <laughs> especially at cons. <laughs> no, I. Uh, one of the things with uh, with that as well is I think that there has to also be. I think we'll see more of it now that the gaming populace is getting older, but I think we need more parents that understand this as well when they're dealing with their children. I've, I've raised four kids and two boys, two girls, and I played whatever games they wanted to play. Didn't matter if it was a game that was quote unquote for girls. I played more of Half-Life 2 with killer matches and GoldenEye with my girls than I did with my youngest son. Like, so there's, there has to be also that education as part of being a parent specifically as it pertains to gaming. And hopefully we're going to see a lot more now of that because again, that gaming population is getting older. Yeah. I think, I think we can also, uh, there's some scary uh, numbers out there because I recently saw an article about like the, the number of women in the game industry. And it was like, if the percentage increase continues the way it currently is, it'll still be another 60 years until the balance is 50-50, male and female developers. So, you know, it's not like we can just stay the course and girls will come. Um, it's it's creating interesting stories. And I think there's something to be said for looking towards, like, the comics industry in this mm-hmm. regard. Because in the past, like, decade or so, there's been a huge boom of female content creators on the comics side. And, uh, you know, you can, you can kind of debate what the, what the factors are for, for why so many girls are suddenly interested in creating comics. Um, but I personally, like, and in my experience, I'm in my mid-20s, and the reason I got into drawing in the first place was because of, like, the anime and manga boom in the 90s and early 2000s, you know. And that, I know, uh, influenced a ton of female artists to get interested because... Manga uh, has a specific genre for girls, you know, shoujo comics or uh, jose comics for older women, uh, like Sailor Moon, super appealing to American audiences. And I think <laughs> yeah, that's... We know a couple yeah. of people who <laughs> that applies to. <laughs> yeah, like, Please allow me to turn around and look at the wall of Sailor Moon <laughs> merchandise. <laughs> <laughs> turn around in my own house and look at that stuff like I grew up reading Naruto and and watching Rooney Kenshin and like really really into these this art style that got me into drawing and now I'm in games and I personally think that's why there's so many female comic artists now is because of that anime and manga boom and so I think you know manga boom (laughs) (laughs) you know and so I think that the more diverse like you were saying the more diverse video game creators and and indie games that appeal to a wide range of audiences and that are easily obtainable and playable by a wide variety of audiences that's what's going to create that next surge of you know female and minority developers i think we've also seen um i think also if you obviously I think Uber is an actually really interesting tech example. Oh, man. Um, where it looks like it was, you know, if you're developed by a bunch of bros and you have, like, this, like, fun, irreverent bro culture, okay, that's fine. I mean, sometimes I can, like, in some of the emails that you've seen, like, I've, uh, you know, if you follow that story, I look at some of those and be like, 
yeah, okay. I've sent a few emails like that in my life to like, or like super bro or whatever, but you have to, you have to adapt when your company gets bigger. It's, you know, and is more and more in the public eye. It's more important to be a role model and not be the last to adapt. And I mean, I think that we've tried to do that here in a really progressive way. Like we uh, started taking things more seriously about, um, how how just our basic conversations in the office and you know we did a you know a workshop on communicating yeah. with each other better but i think if you're like a case like uber i mean they're easy to pick on right now but i think that what they have done with where like women were sharing their experiences and then like emails were leaked that are really they're showing you this culture has not evolved to you know make everyone feel welcome and and, and get the best job out of the people or like you know, it's not a collaborative environment anymore. I think you have to, as your company grows, you know, you can't just be like, well, it's just me and my three friends. You know, it's not anymore. You've got other people's lives on the line and you're, and you're in the eye, the public eye. Like it's, it's your job also to, you know, to, to, to have a higher standard than just like, well, this is how we've always done it. Um, yeah, along that same vein, and this is just one of those things that for people that that don't work in an industry that that are in tech or don't work in these types of industries that are starting starting just starting to hit those moments. From my own personal experience, my company is over the last five years has become incredibly diverse, and, and it's one of those things where we have some of the the, the largest number of uh, female programmers, uh, engineers, uh, VPs, a, a, a executive level. Uh, females in the tech industry and we're, and we're a huge company. And it's one of those things where it, it, it didn't even just happen as a, like an initiative. It just happened because we were like, we started focusing on, they have the talent fucking hire them. And as soon as that started happening, everything well, guess, else fell into place. Is that so hard? I mean, you're <laughs> exactly. Right there. And in, in one sentence, too, they have it. and I, I totally agree. And it's, and it's also, uh, of just like the, um, not being skeptical, not being like, not letting people, uh, you know, talk themselves into making a choice if they have two equally talented people that they think that they're going to be more comfortable around, you know, another guy, like, you know, take, take the risk and like broaden your own horizons. And oh, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. You may not get to make every dick joke that you want anymore. <laughs> like, like, if, if, that's, if that's really what your company values over, you know, getting more inclusive voice and, 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 and hiring the best person for the job at the same time. They're like, I think your priorities are messed up. Yep. Yeah. The other thing is like, uh, not to belabor the point, but like, uh, sexism isn't always negative either. Like, uh, I had a friend recently, uh, be told that she would be a great producer because all the male programmers would listen to her way more than if she was a male producer, because the males would be eager to please the female in the office. What? And she was like, oh, uh, that, that sounds like a weird sitcom episode. Shitty big, I'm sorry for cursing. So weird. Like, that's we, we have an MA rating. You're good. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Oh, like it's like a Seinfeld episode. Yeah. Or something. So, yeah, it is like a shitty Big Bang episode. Like, fuck Big Bang Theory, but that sounds like it's straight I, out yeah. of Big Bang. I also hate that show. Yeah. But. I. I, I love you both, right? For that statement, nothing else. Okay, we we need to move to Hub now. <laughs> there's there's something coming out soon, right? <laughs> we have also noted 
artist. I mean, on that note of perfect segue, yeah. is we've noticed a huge number of women who are interested in Hob, um, unlike we ever saw with either of the Torchlight series. Now, obviously, we know that there's, like, ladies and girls out there who did like and do like them both. Like, I love Torchlight 2 still. Like, I I, could, I lost hours in that game all the time. Um, but but we, we saw something at the last couple, you know, in the shows that we've done the last couple years that we've never seen before, and it's, like, 50% at least and sometimes more women in line as much as men. And women repeat, like, like I was here yesterday and I see him again yeah. today. And, 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 like, and I wasn't even the first person to notice it or to comment on it. Someone else said, have you noticed, like, we have, like, an, an incredible number of women yeah. who are really excited about Hob. And I think, yeah, I love it. Like, it's, I mean, going back to Christina's point about you're not just making a game for girls. Like, just make, make a really dang good game. And I mean, one thing that we tried to do was, uh, with, with only some success, I think, is uh, make the character of Hob, like, the in Hob, like, the character, the hero character, uh, genderless. Um, well, it reminded me of Journey kind of thing that anybody can play it and feel that it's their story because of that. Yeah, that's exactly what we. That's exactly the feeling that we wanted to give players, and that it's not. Um, uh, you know, when I worked at Flagship, there was someone who posted a YouTube video of one of the characters, and I don't, I can't remember. I don't think that this person worked at Flagship, but I can't remember ah. if they did or not. But they posted a video of one of our one of the major characters in Hellgate London, who was a woman, female character, without her armor on. And then they did like a huge like YouTube video of her in action with all like battle stuff, fully naked. And I remember it going around the office, and I'm opening it up and looking at it and being like, "What the fuck is this? Like, why am why am I watching this? Why is this okay?" Like, why can you take her clothes off in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why? Like, and you know, the, and that, like, fortunately, that, that was probably back in 2008. So I think we've come a long way as an industry. I mean, you're always going to have people like that, but hopefully not. I don't know anyone in the industry yeah. working in the industry today who would in any way condone that or be like, that seems fine. Um, yeah, it, it was like a very I'm, and I'm really proud of the decision to make our main character like gender neutral. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I think it was great. Yeah, and I I enjoy it. And every time I was like, so is this hop? Like, no, it's you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, whoever you are, and and seeing like the interest from um, women and kids actually too, yeah. a ton of kids. Yeah, um, which is crazy because we got T for Teen rating, which is nonsense. Really? Yeah. I guess there's violence. Yep. It's for, it's for cartoon blood. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think what's so appealing about the the character that you play is that they don't have any qualities about them that can be like, oh, that was a feminine movement or like that was a masculine thing. You know, uh they, even the dimensions. Yeah, know, the way they move go either way. The way they gesture, it's it's completely, you know, gender neutral and uh, they more have like qualities to them. They're they're brave and strong and adventurous and stuff. And so I think, I hope that that's what people are drawn to more than their gender. And one of the really interesting things about that is uh, in addition to, to not having a a concrete gender identity is also there's no, there's no dialogue that you can even then imprint upon. So 
like I, I find that really fascinating and I, I'm wondering how challenging that was like from a from a design standpoint as well yeah that's that's leaning really hard into the uh the concept of show don't tell right yeah you have that in across every storytelling medium comics film story writing everything uh so the golden rule yeah golden rule right uh so we have no no dialogue no text nothing to read or listen to no other than narration music. Yeah. yeah yeah no even like voiceovers a scene, but it's still like it's, it's pantomime still, yeah and it's still storytelling yeah without uh yeah not not even like yeah fake languages put in it yeah gosh i could talk for another hour about like environmental storytelling and stuff like that because <laughs> we we've, we've tried to do a lot of that some is some is very subtle um to the point where I, players maybe will miss it maybe they won't you know there's a lot of stuff that's super subtle like we've even like been at shows and watched someone run by and they're like oh they're gonna see it oh, <laughs> no, they didn't see it <laughs> hey you got banned never mind yeah yeah, yeah. well yeah. it's one of the uh, things that we notice in like any game you're gonna see that the the art is integral to the storytelling however in a lot of stories the script matters a lot more like you've got that that the storytelling is still what is moving the story along whereas with your story by virtue of the fact that there's no uh, like there's a script clearly but there's no spoken dialogue or things like that you got to say everything now through visual cues like everything yeah. that's happening not just emotions but you're guiding the story along through just visual cues that's that i'm sure as an artist was pretty damn cool for you because yeah. you're not seeing that in a ton of games so now you are far more important to the entirety of the story as an artist yeah it put it put a lot of weight on uh, the designs of the, the characters and the environments that we were doing, um, which, you know, it, it should matter anyway as a concept artist. You're always trying to convey story in design. But, you know, now it was, it was okay, this is all they have. This is all the player is going to experience. So how do we bump it up even more? How do we uh, carry things through from, from one discipline to another? You know, I think a lot of the, the weight and responsibility fell to the animators, actually, um, specifically in, like, the few uh, kind of cutscene. We don't really have cutscenes, but it's more like storytelling moments between two characters. They're interacting with each other, and a lot of that, uh, you know, we try to convey, from my side in concept art, we try to convey backstory in the, the 2D design. But then a lot of the what's happening in the now happens in in the model and during the animation. So, yeah, uh, I'm I'm so curious. We we've talked this whole time about um, what are people going to be talking about on the forums and like are people going to be trying to band together and figure out what this one symbol yeah. means that they see all we over the place. So. Yeah. I'm like, oh, cool. What are their theories? What What do they think is happening in the story? Um, so we, we hope that that happens. Well, I can tell you that in my local gaming group's Discord channel, we or Discord uh, thing, we already have a channel dedicated to, like, stuff like that. So That's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's my favorite thing about games is, like, even um, uh, when the 
uh, the Last of Us 2 trailer came out, all of the theories that are pouring in about, you know, is Joel dead? Is he alive? Is Ellie hallucinating him for the entire, like, I am so into that stuff. Yeah. So I want to see who thinks that our character's been dead the whole time. Or like, what? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's not go the lost route, please. <laughs> oh God, polar bears randomly. <laughs> but it's cool to see that uh, you, you were so involved with trying to to have that visual style come through. And like, how how involved did you stay like throughout the development process? And really, how how close is the finished product to what you guys had originally envisioned? Forty. Um. I'd say it's still pretty close. There's yeah. still a lot of things that changed, and sometimes it wasn't um, what what changed, but it was like how it changed. Like the world shifting mechanic has gone through like a couple of different iterations to find something that was going going to work and look and fulfill everything that we wanted it to do. Like 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 look really cool, be really exciting, be in game without it being like a cutscene, like right there, but also not you know not sacrifice performance issues and things like that um but but the story started with like a pretty with a with like a you know kind of like a synopsis of the story on in a couple pages and then went on to be like okay here's how we think the player is going to get through and i would say the how has changed a lot more um of how the player you know accomplishes it and like sort of like the flow of that but the overall story structure of what we envisioned like you know, from the beginning is, is pretty much the same. Right. And that clockwork, like world building thing, which is so awesome every time I see it, that, was that always kind of part of the, the design for the game? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and even, and, and trying even different ways of making the world move, but it was always supposed to be um, like a, a, a world that was like, um, like if someone took a jigsaw puzzle and threw up all the pieces or if someone took a Rubik's cube and messed it all up and then handed it back to you and, you know, something like that. So uh, that was always the goal was, uh, but then every piece then having to tell part of the story as you go yeah. through it to put it back together. And I mean, and then even as we came up with, like there was a great dev diary about combat and traversal and Hobbit we put out about a, two weeks ago now. And they're talking about how some of the glove abilities then ended up being so cool, but then they some of the level designers had to go back and like completely revamp areas because it's like, oh great, thanks for the mechanic. <laughs> I guess you can just zoom around now, you know. <laughs> so you know, constantly, constantly iterating in, in that style, and so it's a more of like the how has changed uh, than the what. Um, it's still, I mean, I think our story is still very subtle, even if, even if we were supposed, even if we told you everything, every story beat that we have kept under wraps, I think when you actually experience it, it's much more thoughtful and hopefully thought provoking than, um, like fully in your face. Uh, I think it's still a subtle story. Um, it's definitely going to reward people that want to, uh, get off the beaten path and think about what they're seeing, not just race to the next um, objective. Well, that is going to wrap it up for this interview. Although you girls get the last word, anything that you want to, any last point or anything you want to, well, obviously you're plugging hob, but (laughs) anything else. Anything else? Anything else to plug? Go watch journey quest season three on Amazon prime. (laughs) 
and I'll I'll say uh, to everyone listening, play more games, read more books and comics, and watch more movies. Yeah. <laughs> that those are words to live by. So, ladies, thank you so much for dropping by. I Again, we know you are insanely busy right now, so we appreciate the time. But also, again, it's I, I know that you both have been working in the industry for a number of years, and I think that we need to, as creators, us, not you, we need to encourage more of this so that there's more of a dialogue going forward so that we get this out so that people are, whether they're young girls who are looking to move forward in the industry, although young girls should not be listening to this podcast. <laughs> young nobody should be listening to this podcast. <laughs> there are plenty of older girls that shouldn't be listening. Yeah, but uh, but also for everybody else in the industry, too, of things that they need to work on. So, again, thank you so much for your insight. We appreciate you coming on. Yeah, we yeah. super appreciate you having us on to blather on about our lives. We love it. It was awesome. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.